broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing. Get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to RN Huddle. My name is Heidi Keeler, and I am your host. I am faculty at UNMC College of Nursing, and I will be leading you through each podcast at RN Huddle. And today is a very special day for RN Huddle in that this is the very first show that we're going to publish for you. And we are so excited that you are all here to share it with us. And to start us all off, what we'd like to do is we've picked a topic that all nurses face, and that is legality. As a practicing nurse, there is nothing scarier than thinking about the possibility that you might find yourself on the wrong side of the law on the wrong side of a policy, or the wrong side of a regulation, many of these which you don't deal with normally on, in your everyday life, and you may not think that they're even a possibility or an issue for you. So to tackle this, I could go ahead and, uh, and bore you by reading legislation and, re- and regulations and doing straight-up interpretation of the words, but instead what we've done is we've invited Dr. Joyce Black, who is a College of Nursing faculty here at UNMC, a world-renowned expert in nursing practice, and we've invited her to come on and talk about legal issues. In addition, we've brought in Katie Cheadle, who is a lawyer who practices in medical malpractice. And so who better to discuss issues of legality than a nurse and a lawyer together talking through some real-life cases and helping us to apply it to our everyday nursing practice. So for our very first show, I hope you enjoy the first presentation of Legality and Nursing. What we're here to talk about today are current issues in the area of nursing, and the interface that we're going to use today is actually legal issues. And so um, I've brought with me today uh, Catherine Cheadle, a lawyer, to talk about, of course, a lawyer. You've got to have a lawyer to talk about legal issues, to talk about the impact of lawsuits with nurses and nurses' action. And that's what we're going to explore. So we're going to I'm going to pose a question to you, Katie, and we'll see uh, what your response is. This is Joyce Black at the University of Nebraska College of Nursing. Sure. This is Katie Cheadle. I am an attorney in Omaha, Nebraska. I have practiced almost exclusively in the area of medical malpractice defense, meaning I defend healthcare providers in a variety of settings and healthcare providers at all different levels from the nurse tech up to the uh, medical doctor and everything in between, um, and have done so for almost a decade now. So uh, what's your what's your first question on the nursing care, Joyce, from a from a legal perspective? Well, here's the story. We had this very, very sick patient with us for uh, close to two weeks time in and out of surgery, in and out of critical care. And, you know, I think short of bragging, No, I'll brag. We saved his life. And now I hear that he and his family are suing us. And there's just a piece of me that that says, wait a minute, how how can you do that? So how can he do that, Katie? How can he sue us when we saved his life? Well, the 
the easy answer to how can he sue you in Nebraska, anyone for any reason can pay $185 and file a lawsuit. It's not so easy in other states, uh, but here in Nebraska, anybody can sue you for any reason at any time. It does not have to have a lot of merit or any merit to become a lawsuit. Um, so that's the easy answer to how can he sue you? Why has he sued you or his family has sued you? That becomes a little bit more of a complicated question. Uh, there's a variety of factors that go into a patient or a family's decision-making when deciding whether or not to sue. Part of that is all on them. Part of that is on the attorney that they have presumably hired to look at the case. Talking about it from just the patient perspective, probably the most common thing we see um, nowadays is the issue of fairness. What happened to me is unfair. I was injured. I was hurt. My family was hurt. And I uh, don't want the healthcare provider to get away from this scot-free, quote-unquote. Occasionally, we see it just as a retaliation. They're angry at what happened to their family. And so this is their means of expressing their anger. Many times, from the patient perspective, even if they win the lawsuit, that anger doesn't go away. But we do see that occasionally. Uh, sometimes it's simply a mistrust in the system. They retaliate or, or they react because they don't trust their provider. Uh, in the olden days, <laughs> when we had small towns and small town providers, the idea of suing your friendly neighborhood doctor was egregious. You would never do it because that would break the trust you have with your physician. Now we don't have that same trust established with patients. Um, and there's ways we can work on that and reestablishing that in hopes that it will prevent a retaliatory lawsuit. Really, the least common one that I see is pure selfish reasons that the patient thinks this is a quick way for me to make a buck. Um, we do see it, but it really isn't the most common reason. There usually is more psychology behind it. As far as what in the hospital is usually the most fertile grounds for a lawsuit is what we call an unexpected outcome. I'm sure you're familiar. No, what do you mean by that? <laughs> um, an unexpected outcome, from my perspective, is any outcome that to the patient, when they come in, they aren't expecting this to happen. I know that's an obvious statement or definition, but patients come in, say for something as straightforward as a labor and delivery. They come in, they know there's pain with labor. They're expecting to have a baby born. Nobody expects for there to be complications with that baby being born unless they have been prepared for that by a maternal fetal medicine specialist or for whatever reason are aware that there may be complications with their individual child. But if someone comes in normal, healthy pregnancy, they don't have the knowledge, the expertise that the medical doctors or labor and delivery nurses or care tech do. So while the labor and delivery nurses may be accustomed to having infants born that require uh, fetal resuscitation, uh, or the medical doctor certainly is aware of the requirements for that on a number of occasions, the patient is not aware of the inherent risk that goes into every labor and delivery. They think this is going to be an easy, um, you know, this, this is all flowers and butterflies and beautiful. And labor and delivery is very, very complicated and very, very risky to both mother and child. So a lot of it is just that the patient lacks the knowledge. So when they come in, this is unexpected to them when their infant needs resuscitation. So even though we as healthcare providers 
know that, you know, as your example here, a labor and delivery case, or in the case that I was talking about, it's a patient who came in for surgery. Even though we know that there are complications and we watch for them, they don't. Is that what you're saying? They're not aware of those complications, or if they are, they certainly don't think they're going to happen to them. I mean, so, because we know that prior to surgery, the surgeon talks to the patient and family and says, there's a risk of bleeding, there's a risk of nerve damage, all those kinds of things. I know that's all said to the patient. So what you're telling me is even though the patient was aware, it maybe doesn't hit them as likely to happen or it's going to happen to someone else. And that's where the fairness piece comes in is I didn't see this coming and now I'm mad. Is that kind of the story that you're relating? Yeah, that's a very good explanation. Um, On some of the bigger levels with an informed consent discussion, I know physicians cover everything from infection to this procedure could result in death, particularly where there's anesthesia involved. But many patients, they hear that, but that doesn't apply to them. That's not something they're not going to die. This is for somebody else. So they sign off, having been informed, having consented to it, fully informed of the risks, but don't process that this risk applies to them. Many times also in, in a wrongful death type situation, the family wasn't present for that informed consent discussion, just the patient was. So the family isn't aware of this risk of death. This seems out of the blue to them that their loved one who was seemingly healthy uh, now had a, a complication, a known complication from a procedure, um, was consulted on it, was educated on it, elected to undergo the procedure anyway, and now it has happened, just has been described to, to that patient, but the family wasn't aware of it. So they, this is unexpected to the family. Also, we have unexpected outcomes where it's completely not explained. It's it's really more of a nursing situation, such as an extravasation and infiltration Anytime we place an IV in somebody, it's it's very commonplace. We place IVs in, in patients, multiple IVs daily in the same patient. Um, and we can do everything right and have extravasations, infiltrations, and patients are completely unaware that these things exist, what they are, how they're caused, what the result could be. And if we have a particularly caustic substance that extravasates or infiltrates, that's a lot of wound care for that patient maybe surgical repair for that skin damage. So all of that is unexpected to the patient. It does not mean we've done anything wrong or below the standard of care. It's just unexpected to the patient. And that's the type of situation which provides the questioning that goes into the patient or their family's mind when they decide to talk to an attorney. Was what happened to me fair? Was what happened to me right? Um, and that's that's really what starts the ball rolling towards a lawsuit. So the patient, not really understanding the medical side of the story, may not appreciate that this risk was uh, explained, uh, perhaps anticipated. Maybe what we think in our case was caught early. We We thought we caught all these complications early enough to save this patient's life but they don't have that medical background to really understand it. So they get angry about the fact that, you know, I I don't know in this man's case, but, you know, certainly he didn't plan to stay in the hospital for two weeks. And so the only way to see it then is that somebody did something wrong. Is that that's one view that they take is this couldn't have happened to me if everything went right. Therefore, something must have gone wrong. 
Right, that's usually the patient's view. And my response to that is that's that's up for me and the court system to settle. Just because someone has said that you have done something wrong does not mean you, in fact, have done something wrong. Like I said before, anybody can file a lawsuit. It does not mean that the person that they have sued has actually done anything wrong. We, in fact, get lawsuits pretty frequently where they've made allegations of negligence against us, and we defend those cases successfully. The juries find, the judges find um, that there was no negligence. Sometimes we just have outcomes which are unexpected or not what we would prefer, not ideal outcomes, but the human body is very, uh, everybody's body is different. How we react to things is very different. Um, and even with, with educating the patient, for us to educate a patient on every risk of everything we do once we're in the hospital, you can't do it. You would spend more time talking to this patient than we have hours in a day. So we, it's almost an unrealistic expectation to say we can educate you and prevent unexpected outcomes. We can't prevent unexpected outcomes. But we need to be aware that it is the unexpected outcome that usually leads to the lawsuit or the discussion between the patient or their family and and a lawyer um, in deciding whether to pursue a lawsuit. So what's been your experience with the patient who sues the nurses, the institution, whoever, and the jury finds that there was no wrongdoing on the part of the hospital staff? Does the patient accept that? Do they do they learn? I mean, did they get their day in court, so to speak, and they move on? Do you have any idea what happens to them? Well, at a certain point, they have to move on because there's only so many steps you could take in the courts before the court says, no, it's been decided and you must live with the decision. Um, on the flip side, the provider has to live with the decision if the jury finds against the provider. What happens is if this goes to trial, if the case ends up getting all the way through litigation and and to trial, depending on the outcome, we can take steps to what's called appeal that decision. We can take it up to the Supreme Court, have them review the law and how everything was decided. If if the Supreme Court decides that everything was done um, procedurally correctly, then that's it. That's the end of it. And everybody must live with the result trial, what we usually say is one person is going to end up happy and one person is going to end up very unhappy. Right. You don't come out with both sides happy at the end of a trial. Somebody right. wins and somebody loses. And that is a result that most of the time, the trial result is what you have to deal with, whether you're the provider or the patient. We have had cases that we win and our provider's very happy and the patient's very unhappy. And, and the flip side, where we lose we have the, some of the best defense experts in the world testifying for our providers. And for whatever reason, the jury decided it didn't believe our experts, didn't believe our providers. Um, and it's important for us to educate our providers that the juries that try these cases, that listen to these cases, that decide these cases, are not trained in medicine. These are individuals who are... Um, not really volunteering, but have been called in from all different aspects of life. We have elementary school teachers, bus drivers, retired individuals. We have professors from universities. Uh, We have stay-at-home moms. We have stay-at-home dads. We have 
um, any number of individuals that make up our 12 panel jury and the majority of which have no medical treatment whatsoever. Their only experience with medicine is what they personally have experienced as a patient somewhere, or maybe their loved one was in the hospital. So um, we are in a predicament when we go to these trials on educating these juries and, and convincing them that what we are telling them is, is true and what the patient's attorney and experts is telling them is not true. Um, or that ours is the better explanation. And sometimes, for whatever reason, they don't believe us. I say all the time, if it was a jury of 12 doctors, 12 nurses, we'd have a completely different outcome. We probably wouldn't even be going to trial because they would understand the medicine. But that's not always what we what we have. Um, in fact, that's never <laughs> what we have. I have to share with you a story. Uh, some of the work that I do involves expert witness work, where I review a medical record and I'm asked to defend or go against uh, the healthcare providers. So I was in a trial, and it was a story of a patient who had been in intensive care very, very ill and got a pressure ulcer while he was in intensive care. And after my testimony was over, as I walked out of the courtroom, he turned to me and said, I had no idea that I was that sick because I don't remember any of that time in the hospital. The case uh, ended with a, a verdict in favor of the hospital staff. And so he always struck me as a person who maybe sued out of this very thing, this unexpected outcome, and had somebody been able to explain to him days, months, years prior to the trial, it, you know, that that's what happened because he was, he couldn't breathe. Uh, and that's what happened to him. But he may be, he may have been perhaps still is a very unique individual to sort of understand that he didn't know the full story. And once he did, you know, he saw it differently. So you started down the path of the provider that gets sued. So, you know, here's this guy we took care of for two weeks, thought we did everything right, had a whole bunch of complications that nobody could see coming. And the staff are now on pins and needles about what if I get sued and What's going to happen to me, and who's the lawyer that's going to represent me, and all of that stuff? What, what, what's the process for them as far as going forward, and what's the emotions like for them? Well, I can only speak to the general law on what the process is. Um, every state may have little distinct differences, or even between the employee and the employer may have distinct differences. But the general rule of thumb is that if you are working for a corporate entity or an employer at the time that you were providing health care. And that health care is what becomes the basis for the lawsuit. You are covered by the employer. It's called the Doctrine of Respondiat Superior. Um, it's Latin. And they, the employer is responsible for the acts of its employees. So if you are working for a hospital institution, the chances are that you are covered by that hospital institution's insurance policy. If the hospital institution likely has an attorney that they work with routinely for medical malpractice defense, it is a specialty within the law. Um, and then you will be assigned and meet with that hospital's attorney. You likely will not know that a lawsuit has been filed for several months after it's been filed. There is a, a lag between the event 
and the lawsuit actually being filed. In some states, it's a year, it's two years, four years, five years, depending on your individual state statute of limitations. And then the attorneys will do an initial assessment of the lawsuit. They will assess and determine which healthcare providers are actually at issue. If this gentleman was in the hospital for two weeks, there's a good chance he had at least a dozen, if not more, different nurses, care techs, multiple providers, and depending on if it's a teaching hospital, residents, attendings, possibly therapists involved. So the attorney will filter through and decide which of these individuals actually do I need to meet with. And only then will we make contact with you to sit down and and talk with you about the facts of the case. What do you remember about this person? We'll show you your charting. So if there's a lawsuit pending and we decide that you aren't involved, you won't hear from us. You probably will have no idea this lawsuit is going on, that this patient has sued. So usually when a patient gets discharged, you will forget about that patient until we call you several years later and say, here's um, the story, there's a lawsuit, we think you might have information. What's it like emotionally? It is extremely overwhelming for the healthcare provider. I routinely um, have Kleenex in the room. It is extremely common for there to be tears, crying. I think it's more of an overwhelming sensation. There is, in many cases, a lot of self-doubt, self-questioning about what you did, how you did it. Um, And the hard part for my providers is that we will hire an expert to defend you. We will find someone who reviews what you've done. And and in the vast majority of cases, we find someone to defend the care you provided. But we don't typically get that person for several months because usually we have to do our initial fact digging. We have to talk to you. We have to talk to the patient. We have to talk to the patient's family. We have to get a lot of information before we can send it to another provider so that that provider has enough information to be able to say, I agree with what this provider did. So in that kind of purgatory time, it's extremely stressful and overwhelming. But once we find a provider who defends your care, um, and in many cases, we find providers who can testify on specifically the cause of what happened and Sometimes, you know, it's completely outside your control and you had, there's a lot of almost an awakening of information where we find and uncover all these different facts. Uh, The patient was being seen at this hospital or a different institution that you were completely unaware of, um, had blood tests done that show some type of bleeding disorder or have a genetic testing done somewhere that showed some type of genetic disorder, a healing disorder, whatever it is that now completely explains why you had the outcome you did that you were not told, that you were unaware of. So for many of those providers, once we get our expert reviewers on board, it's it's a completely relaxing feeling of, okay, I know I did nothing wrong. In the interim, though, it is extremely, extremely overwhelming emotionally for those providers. And, And there's actually therapy groups out there for providers who have been sued to help process with this. Uh, I can only imagine having your entire profession called into question and your professional integrity, your professional abilities called into question like this, especially with a patient that you really thought you did a great job for, such as the man we've talked about, saved his life. Right. And then this comes back and it's emotionally extremely difficult for the provider. Right. And that's part of my job is to 
is to show the provider this lawsuit, yes, has happened, but what you did was fine. What you did was within the standard of care or possibly, and in many cases, exceeded the standard of care. We just can't prevent the lawsuit. So this is Joyce Black at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. I've been speaking to Katie Cheadle, a medical malpractice defense attorney from Omaha, about a case that we had in which we saved a patient's life only to find out that he was angry and turned around and sued us. And what we've talked about, to sum it up, is the fact that really you can sue healthcare providers at very little effort, it sounds like, a little bit of money and a lawyer. And then comes the hard part of digging through the story and seeing if you can piece together a defensible story. In the interim, those of us that are healthcare providers are left pretty anxious until the uh, case comes to a close on our side in which there's an expert that's willing to defend our care. Let's go ahead and stop the discussion right here between Dr. Black and Attorney Cheadle. Uh, They've just been outlining some very interesting and fascinating information regarding the legality of nursing and a situation that many of us who are listening might have found themselves in. I know that being at least peripherally involved in a lawsuit has been part of my nursing practice, and so learning anything that I can about how to avoid such situations and learn from the situations that you've witnessed your colleagues go through as well. Um, That's very important. So I know I've learned a lot from this conversation and exploration today, and I hope this has been a really informative uh, time for you too. That's what we try to do here at RM Huddle. And uh, But I think we're going to conclude for today and continue our discussion about the legality of nursing next time. I hope you'll join us here to uh, hear the interlude between the infamous Joyce Black and Attorney Cheadle. Uh, They're going to be uncovering some more issues in legality when we pick up next time. So that's all we have for you today. And thank you for listening to RN Huddle and hope you have a great time until we see you here again. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE. Or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.